Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for what it means to us. We thank you that the entrance of it gives us light. And so as the light enters, uh, the darkness of our hearts and maybe our minds, that there would be transformation and that there would be renewal in everything that we are, who we are, and where you've called us, what you're doing with us, and give us a wisdom and strength and healing. Lord, we expect all that as we read together and share together. In Jesus' name, amen. The series we're launching today is called You Asked For It. And it's because in Easter of this year, we did a survey. You might remember it. Easter Sunday, big survey across three communities. And as we did that, we asked you, what do you need to hear about? What, is, what do you want to hear from the scriptures? What do you want us to teach about? And there was, uh, we're going we're gonna to take the top four answers. We're going to do one a week for the next three weeks, and we're going to ramp up to the number one uh, most asked for idea. And the number one thing that you were curious about, the one, number one thing you want to know about is purpose. We're going to spend several weeks on purpose. What is our purpose? What is my purpose? What does God think about me? Where is he taking me? What am I supposed to do? We're going to talk about that. And so for the next three weeks, we're going to do the other three. And so today's message is dealing with difficult people. This is going to be an awesome message, but for some of you, it may be a little tricky because the person we're actually talking about is sitting next to you. It's possible. We're going to talk about dealing with difficult people because all of us deal with difficult people. Regardless of who we are, who we are in contact with, what our family's like, what our friends are like, there's always difficult people that we're going to run into. And so regardless of who that difficult person is in your life, we all need God's help in trying to figure it out. How do we deal with this person? What should we do as they come in and out of our lives? And so we feel, sometimes I don't know if you feel this way, but I feel like there's people that their whole mission in life is to make me crazy. Sometimes they're just, they're just this thing, and I'm like, oh, that's really annoying. Oh, that's really discouraging. It's, they're difficult. And so we're going to talk about dealing with difficult people today. So turn to your neighbor right where you are, sit and say, I'm so glad you made it to church today. <laughs> All right, so, so if you have your Bible, I want you to turn with me to 2 Timothy 2, 2 Timothy 2, and we're going to talk about this. 2 Timothy 2, 23 through 26. It's in your message notes, I believe. It says, again, I say, don't get involved in foolish, ignorant arguments that only start fights. What a great verse for our time. <gasps> don't get involved in foolish, ignorant arguments that only start fights. A servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but must be kind to everyone. Be able to teach and be patient with difficult people. Gently instruct those who oppose the truth. Perhaps God will change their hearts. And they will learn the truth. Then they will come to their senses and escape from the devil's trap. For they have been held captive by him to do whatever he wants. There's an old Irish saying that goes like this. 
to dwell above with saints who we love, that will be grace and glory. To, to live below with saints we know, now that's a different story. <laughs> it's really true, isn't it? For us to deal with difficult people, we have to understand them. To deal with difficult people, you, you have to understand them. I know you want to understand them. You just want to yell at them, call them names, and say you're stupid. That never really works. You've got to understand them because there's always going to be these people in your life who are difficult to get along with. Max Locato said it this way. He says, some people have been called to be missionaries of misery sent into our world to wreak havoc. I think there's another thing, though, that happens here. And it's this idea. When there are difficult people in our life, we kind of want to, like, push it away. We don't want it to keep, like, we don't want to deal with it. But the truth is, every difficult person in your life, every person who comes across your path and, and creates difficulty for you, that, no matter who it is, is an opportunity. Everybody say opportunity. It's an opportunity for God to work in your life. And what you're saying when you try to avoid difficult people, when you try to push them away, instead of dealing with them, you are saying, I don't want that opportunity for you to work in my life, God. You're saying, yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm good. And then you become the difficult person. So, so when we look at this, what makes a person difficult? Because I think half the battle is understanding what makes it, them difficult. And if we understand where that person's coming from, it'll help us understand how to respond to them. So the first thing we all have to remember, why there are difficult people in the world today, the reason for this is, is we live in a fallen world. We live in a broken world. We live in a world marred by sin and shame. A, a world bar, marred by violence. A world marred by by really bad decisions and bad ideas. And it's everywhere. Little history lesson, make sure you don't forget this. As a Christian, the story, the big story that we subscribe to, the one we believe is that God created the heavens and the earth and put people on the planet and it was perfect. He created a perfect world. And then the humans who lived on it we know them as Adam and Eve. They made a difficult decision. They became difficult people. They decided to reach out for life in disobedience to God and, and, and reject his good world. And as they rejected his instruction, as they rejected what he had told them, then they began to live on their own and pursue life on their own terms. So that's what's created all the chaos throughout our human history is those ideas right there. And since then, since the very beginning, God has been chasing after people. God has been trying to speak to people. God's been trying to rescue people from themselves. God's been trying to save people from their own tyranny, their own vile aspirations, their own selfishness. And, and he sent Jesus then to represent the life that we're all supposed to live the life he he was recapturing what was perfect when he sent jesus who was the perfect son of god he came to this world and we look at jesus as the one 
the one person who lived the life that God wanted him to live. And we are called to live like him. And so God is rescuing people from all this. He's, he's working. He wants them to experience his love and his peace and his life. And so this big idea is so important that we settle that all people have sinned. We're all like guilty because we live in this fallen, broken world. Romans 3.23, that's what it says. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Which, which means, <laughs> you may not realize this, but that means you might be the difficult person. <laughs> And then the second thing we have to remember is that there's nothing more important than, the devil, than for the devil to attack. Nothing more important for the devil. He wants to attack your relationships. That's what he wants. He thinks, he thinks that is his number one goal is to separate people, to divide them, to cause them to hate one another, to introduce jealousy and envy. That's, he wants to break up relationships. That's what he's trying to do. And so we see it everywhere. Listen, you and I were created to be relational. Life flows out of us when we are relational. We experience the greatest joys of our life when we have people around that we love and we experience this together. Those are incredible, joyous moments in our life. But relationships can also cause great discouragement and hurt and woundedness and violation because when we try to trust someone and that trust is broken, it hurts so deeply. Now, okay, I made a list. I made a list of the different types of difficult people that there are. And so I, I, I've, I've had many of these in my life, and, and I've probably been a few of them. Um, and so here's the first one, ready? The first one is the hammer. You ever known anybody like this? Somebody who thinks, all, all of life looks like a nail, <laughs> so they just need to hammer it. <laughs> the hammer, people coming down so hard, aggressive, harsh, hostile, you're wrong, I'm right, that's all there is to it. So much of their approach is through intimidation. They're always trying to intimidate people. Number two, the megaphone. You ever seen this person? The megaphone. There's this thing, I, I, you know what a megaphone is? It's like this thing, you know, it's like that thing that's actually like a bullhorn. Actually, <laughs> this week I was, or maybe it was last week, I was learning about this thing that our staff is doing. Some people on our staff, I think Tracy Stonescu is doing it. And she's walking around and they've got this little team of people and they go around with a bullhorn and they scare people to death. Like suddenly you'll be in the office and then there's like this roar and people scream and, and that's not the worst of it. They capture it on Instagram and then <laughs> post for the world to enjoy. It's called the Megaphone Diaries if you'd like to check it out. It's weird. I don't get it. But a person who kind of talks like this and they just keep talking, 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 talking and then they finally force you into submission. Number three, the bubble buster. <laughs> the bubble buster. Or as I like to call her, Debbie Downer. These types of people, it's all bad. They deflate everything. They're always negative. Today in Austin, it's 100 degrees outside. Oh, but my armpits are going to be sweaty. It's terrible. Life is so hot. It's just too hot. I don't know what it is about Austinites in August. They just all get grumpy. 
It's sunny outside and there's water everywhere. This is an awesome place to live. You guys, uh, you're awful. It's hot, Debbie Downer, it's horrible. These types of people, these types of people are always negative. Number four, the volcano. The volcano, these types of people erupt out of rage and anger. Always angry, there's a bunch of stuff suppressed down there. There's constantly spewing out hot lava of destructive words and anger. And it just comes out of nowhere. Number five, the space cadet. Some of you are looking at that and thinking, I've never met a... Space cadet. Here's the problem with space cadets is they, they live in their own little world, only they don't know that it's their own little world. <laughs> and so you try to talk to them. They're not home. Hello. Hello. McFly. Sixth is the clam. The clan, these types of people are great at the silent treatment. They just shut down. They manipulate you by using the mute button. Number seven is the nitpicker. The nitpicker, these types of people are continually critical. They just nitpick everything. They're always finding all your mistakes. My kids think that I am a nitpicker. I know you guys all think that I go home as a pastor and as I walk through the door, they come lovingly to the door and say, oh, pastor, tell us all the things you've learned from Jesus today. (laughs) No, 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 pastors are people too. You need to remember that. They need Jesus just as much as you, probably more. The nitpicker is a person that kind of nitpicks everything. And honestly, I have been guilty of this. Some of my staff thinks I am too. But they're always finding the mistakes. Number eight, the crybaby. The crybaby. These types of people are chronic complainers. They're constantly whining and they pout. Here's the thing about, about these people. They pout to get their way. If they're not getting their way, they just, everything's whatever. Sure, whatever. Okay, I guess, if that's the way you want it. That's called pouting. That's called pouting. We all need to grow up, stop pouting. Number nine, the user. These types of people are the manipulators. These are constantly trying to control you, constantly trying to get their way over you. Number 10, finally, is the garbage collector. The the garbage collector is the person who just keeps collecting stuff. (laughs) They collect garbage from other people. They're rehearsing their own garbage from the past. They just keep collecting it and keeping it and walking with it. And there's all this garbage that they have around and then they try to dump it and they dump it in the next relationship they're in and then they ruin that relationship and they just keep taking on garbage. These are the different types of difficult people that you're going to encounter in your lives. And the reality is that you're going to have to choose. Everybody say choose. You and I are going to have to choose how to respond to them because difficult people see life and situations through a difficult lens. Like these glasses I have on. They see through a lens and instead of the lens making it better for them, It's a lens that makes it worse. 
Sometimes people, they look through the lens of a magnifying glass and it distorts everything and everything's such a big deal. Look at it, it's such a big, look how big this thing is, this is amazing. And they, or they're like, you hurt me and it's such a big deal, oh my gosh. It distorts everything. Are you guys okay? Okay. Sometimes that's what happens. Sometimes, sometimes you guys are, that we, we meet difficult people who, like, they have this lens where there's just layers and layers. Like, you think you're peeling back one, and then, oops, there's another one. And it's just deeper and deeper, layer after layer, and you just keep trying and trying, and there's layers, and they just become difficult. They need something way down deep on the inside of them. They need Jesus to help them. And then other people, I mean, I think this is the one that we probably all suffer from the most. It's the me, myself, and I lens that we just see life through this thing. And uh, enough about you. What do you think about me? Enough about me. What do you think about me? What is this? What is this world coming to? Somebody needs to pay attention to me. Don't you see how awesome I am? I mean, nobody ever says it, but they just act like it. And every problem is something that somebody else did to me. It made me uncomfortable. It made, it made a difficult thing in my life, and that's the biggest deal because everything is about me. I'm going to take these off so you'll start listening to me again. <laughs> see, there are different types of difficult people, and we have to look at it. But the question is, as they see through this distorted lens, how can we help them change their lens? How can we help them work through it? What are my choices? If you look at your choices, you really have three. If you look at the choices you have, there are three choices. You can curse it. You can become angry and you just can just curse people. You can curse their uh, difficulty. You can just be angry all the time and mad at them. And, and you can just stoop down to their level and respond with the same sort of intensity that their difficulty creates for you. Number two, you can choose to nurse it. You can take it in to yourself. Try, it's going to be, oh, <coughs> I'm just going to keep this thing right here. I'm going to hide it from everybody. I'm just going to nurse this, this thing until it goes away. You keep rehearsing this thing, this hurt, this history, this woundedness. You keep, keep just rehearsing it and nursing it over and over in your head. you got to stop that. Or you can choose to reverse it. You can curse it, you can nurse it, or you can reverse it. Most people nurse it. And they don't even know it. They don't even know that they're holding grudges and holding unforgiveness with family members and deep history in their lives. They've made an internal vow years ago somehow that I'm not going to be like this or I, I'm never going to be taken advantage of again. And it, and it sticks. And they nurse this thing that makes them. And, but there's tons of people who are angry and they just curse it. But you and I as Christians are called to reverse it. This is what Jesus said. This is how Jesus said to do it. Matthew 5, 38 through 45. He says, here's another old saying that deserves a second look. I'm reading from the Message Bible, which is a modern translation. So here it is. He says, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. Is that going to get us anywhere? Here's what I propose. Don't hit back at all. If someone strikes you, stand there and take it. If someone drags you into court and sues for the shirt off your back, 
gift wrap your best coat and make a present out of it. And if someone takes unfair advantage of you, use the occasion to practice the servant life. Do you believe what Jesus is saying here? I mean, do you understand what he's saying? Verse 42, he says, no more tit-for-tat stuff. Just live generously. You're familiar with the old written law, love your friend, love your neighbor, and its unwritten companion, hate your enemy. I'm challenging that. I'm telling you to love your enemies. Let them bring out the best in you instead of the worst, not the worst. When someone gives you a hard time, respond with the energies of prayer. For then you are working out of your true selves, your God-created selves. This is what God does. He gives his best, the sun to warm and the rain to nourish to everyone, regardless of the good or the bad, the nice or the nasty. See, here's what you have to come face to face with today, one chapel, is you and I, as God followers, as Jesus followers, are, are supposed to reverse all of these terrible things that are happening in our broken world. And when a difficult person comes to you, you and I, when we respond in the opposite spirit, when they come to you with anger and we respond oppositely, in other words, a gentle answer, if we meet them with anger, we lose them. If we answer gently, it, it turns down the wrath volume in that difficult person. We are supposed to respond in the opposite spirit because we're from an opposite kingdom. There's a kingdom that Jesus ushered into the world and it's a kingdom of life and a kingdom of love and a kingdom of honesty. And so we meet every deception with vulnerability and honesty. We meet pride with humility instead of our own arrogance. We meet violation with forgiveness. This is what we're called to do. I want you to look at these biblical responses for dealing with difficult people because the truth is, it is difficult. Relationships are fragile. Relationships are, are difficult to wrestle to the ground and to keep right. But this is what we're called to do. Relationships can cause deep wounds, but God has a way for us to treat those relationships. And even those volcanic things that come out of relationships, come out of our lives or other people's lives, Relationships where you feel like people are abusing you or manipulating, controlling you. God needs to help you and I to break through that, to navigate what's right, how to respond. So what does the Bible have to say about dealing with difficult people? Here's six things. Ready? Number one, realize that you cannot please everyone. Oh, you weren't expecting that, were you? Realize you cannot please everyone. If you try to please everyone, you are trapped. If you try to please everybody, you are living for the wrong thing. Look at what Jesus said. This little verse in John 5, 30, he says, by myself I can do nothing. He says, I judge only as I hear, and my judgment is just, for I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me. This is what Jesus is saying. He's saying, I'm not, I'm not doing stuff of my own thinking or my own ideas. I... My, my judgments are just because I only say what he says. I only do what he tells me to do. Jesus decided that he was going to be a God pleaser, not a man pleaser, not a people pleaser. Now, I confess to you, 
it's easy to become a people pleaser. Many, many pastors fall into the trap. Because, and I am one of them. I want you to be happy. And I want to do things that will make you happy. You can imagine how that affects discipleship. <laughs> you know, when you're trying to wrestle with somebody and what's going on in their lives. But, but this, this thing of people pleasing, it goes nowhere good because it enslaves your heart to other people. What we have to do is decide we're going to be God pleasers. Amy and I, we talked about this on, on our sabbatical while we were away and we were, we were discussing and, I, and, and what we want to do in our lives and how we want to change things that we've seen that have developed and, and this is a time to kind of reverse some of that. And so we're trying a new thing to not be people pleasers. We're trying this new thing called disappointing people. Because <laughs> here's the problem. You are going to disappoint people. There's no way around it. And it may be that all of us will be called at one point, at some point or another in our lives, to do what God asks us to do and thereby displeasing all the others around us. Marty Irwin. <laughs> I, 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 think this, I think this will come to all of us sooner or later where we have to listen to God and to and to do what he's asked us to do, even though it may not be popular, even though it, m it may disappoint people. All right, number, number two. Number two, refuse to play the game. Oh, let me just say this about people-pleasing and, and God-pleasing. When you, when you choose that God's going to be the one that you please rather than people, it simplifies your life because you're only listening to one person. Simplify your life. life. Be a God-pleaser. Number two, refuse to play the game. John 2.22 says, but Jesus didn't trust them because he knew all about people. <laughs> you didn't know that little verse was in there, did you? Jesus didn't play the game because he, he knows how humans are wired. He didn't get drug into the quicksand of what he said, she said, bickering back and forth. Every time he got into a discussion or an argument, he didn't play the game. He always kind of had a way to cut through with kindness and honesty and so this, this affects us nowhere more aggressively and oppressively than social media. We are just a country at war with itself, playing this game. Somebody says something, and you've got to react to it, and you've got to respond to it, and it makes you so angry. This is a place where we can practice. Refuse to play the game. Don't get consumed in the way that people respond to you. Be the one who, number three, will rise above it. Rise above it. Isaiah 40, 31 says, but those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. What this verse says is if you'll wait on God, if you'll allow him to renew your strength, then you can mount up over circumstances like an eagle does with the wind finds the current of the wind, and we would find, as, as God followers, the wind of God's spirit and what he's doing and what he's saying, rather than get really uh, bogged down in the turmoil or the difficulty. I heard a guy, one guy say, you can't soar like an eagle if you're hanging around a bunch of turkeys. Listen, no matter who you're hanging around with, you have to have time alone with God, and you have to surround yourself with some people who will always encourage you to rise above. Lift your eyes to him. Number four, never retaliate. 
Never retaliate. Don't pay back evil for evil, First Peter says. Don't retaliate with insults when people insult you. Instead, pay them back with a blessing. This is the, this is the, the opposite spirit that we were just talking about. This is what God has called you to do, and he will grant you his blessing. So when you decide, I'm going to bless people, even though they're not blessing me, something happens in God's heart, and he says, oh, that's my kid. I'm going to make sure he's blessed. But see, we don't trust. Here's the problem. We don't trust that God has blessing ready for us to be unleashed when we respond like him. We think we have to control it ourselves. We think we have to fight fire with fire. We think we have to figure it all out. Nothing could be further from the truth. Trust him. Don't become the difficult person <laughs> by, 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 by meeting them in their difficulty. You're so, you and I are supposed to pay people back when they, re, when they retaliate, when they have insults against us. We bless them. We speak blessing over their lives. We want to pay them back. I don't think I've seen anybody in my life do this better than my wife. Because when the reason I've seen it is because I get to be up close. You guys think she's like a beautiful, kind of sweet, you know, just like she never has a, a, a bad word to say or anything like that. And that is true because she wrestles this thing to the ground and decides, and I've watched her do it, to speak blessing rather than cursing. I've watched her. I've been up close. There's a mama bear in there that can take your head off. I'm just telling you. If you do anything to her kids, you're in trouble. Our flesh wants to retaliate. I mean, this is hard. What I'm talking about is hard. It's not easy. It happens in your marriage. It happens at work. It happens we, t we start to collect these little things that people do to us, and we kind of, by a thousand little paper cuts, become this angry, irritated person. God wants to heal you and me of that. And he wants us to speak blessing when we're dealing with a person who's tormented. If anybody had the right to retaliate, think about this. It was Jesus himself. He was the son of God. He, he could have done what he wanted to do, but he didn't. He decided for your sake and my sake. He was like, he was willing to lay down his life. When he was verbally berated, when he was physically abused, when he was tortured, he didn't retaliate. He could have said, because of his power and his authority as a son of God, he could have just said, hmm, you're coming after me? All right. You're mice. All your wives are cats. He could have done any number of things with his power, but instead, with, his, with, his, with the power that God gave him, he used it to lay his life down. God gives you and I the same power, the power of the Spirit, the work of his life in us. And as he gives it to us, then we use it not to punish people, not to, to meet them where they're at with their level of uh, dysfunction, but we meet them with blessing and we meet them at this place where we speak blessing into their lives. We never retaliate. Number five, we release them. Matthew 5, 44 says, but I say, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. You know, some people, you are never going to be able to fix what's wrong. Because it's not really your job to fix people, right? That doesn't really exist. It's, a, it's, a, it's bad language. 
God heals people and we walk with them and help them discover their healing in, in what God is doing in their life. But when you pray for someone, you'll begin to see them differently. They won't be as annoying because you've prayed for them. Well, yes, the next day they'll be annoying again, but that's why you pray for them every day. And as you keep praying for them, something will change. Number six, live redemptively. Here's what Paul said in Ephesians 4.32. He said, instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. See, this is redemptive living. What we're called to is what Jesus did. The only way we're able to do this, the only, only way we're able to meet with difficult people and, and, and work through it and navigate is by experiencing God's love and forgiveness ourselves. Because here's the thing. You'll never have to forgive someone more than you've been forgiven. You'll never have to forgive someone more than you've been forgiven. And if you will remember that, you will have the strength and the grace because it comes from God, not from you. It comes from him and his forgiveness will overflow in your heart and that forgiveness begins to overflow into other people's lives, even the difficult ones. And God does a miracle in them. Listen, this is what God's interested in. He's interested in touching people of all kinds of meeting them where they're at with his love and his kindness, and he wants you to represent him in that. You and I. Close your eyes, bow your heads. We're gonna come to the Lord's table, and as we do, I want you to think about, I want you to think about whether or not God is leading you to forgive someone. Whether or not you need to allow forgiveness to spill out of your heart into somebody else's life who's been difficult for you to deal with. Maybe you've done it before. Maybe you've made the choice, the decision, but you come to this moment and here it is and God's reminding you, hey, I want you to take care of this. Hey, maybe you're the person. Maybe you're the person who feels like need to be forgiven. Maybe you're realizing as we've been talking, I, I am living as a difficult person. I make life difficult for people. I don't want to do that. God, forgive me. And as he forgives you, he'll begin to work in you and that, that forgiveness will begin to work its way through all kinds of things. Some of you have horrendous history where your family members were violating you or, or abusing you. And I, I, I don't want to treat this as, a, as some kind of simple, easy thing. I think, it's, I think it's challenging. But all I'm asking you to do today is make a choice. <laughs> the choice is to forgive. And the choice is to release. And the choice is to not retaliate. And the choice is to not play the game. The choice is for you to follow after Jesus. And if you'll do that, you will find something bubbling up inside of you. Life and love and peace and confidence and security. As we come to this table, I want you to think about those two things. Forgive people and be forgiven. Because this bread represents the body of Jesus that was broken for you and me so that we could be healed. This cup represents the blood of Jesus 
for the forgiveness of every sin that we've ever committed. He can forgive you for the sin that's in your heart right now and for the sin that you committed 20 years ago. He's here to wipe the slate clean. Would you come to this table and let him do that? Father, we ask you, we invite you, we look to you, we, we, we invite you into our hearts to take inventory and to, to struggle through these questions and then to be obedient, to, to forgive like you forgave us. Lord, I pray that you would show your mercy to all of us as we come to this table and forgive us our sins and cleanse us and heal us and give us a brand new start today. Lord, we invite you into the process now as we join you at the table. In Jesus' name, amen. We practice open communion at one church.